Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've probably noticed that famous people, um, whether they're people of uh, importance in terms of our government or even people who are just celebrities, um, have to deal with something that all of us don't have to deal with. And that is that their words are broadcast continually and analyzed very specifically, right? Frequently, their words are used out of context. Um, Often their words are used in such a way to advance another's cause, even though those words might not have been intended for that purpose. We see this all the time. And uh, we know that happens personally, but it especially happens for those who are in the public light a lot of times. It strikes me that great teaching, or should I say the greater the teaching, the greater the possibility that the words can be used or misused widely. That's, of course, true with the teachings of Jesus and other great teachers in history. People take their words like little pithy proverbs and they use them to advance their own cause. For instance, you may have heard someone say, judge not that you may not also be judged. In other words, don't judge what I'm doing. Stay out of my life. That's a very clever use of the words of Jesus. Don't judge me, right? Get out of my space. Not sure that's what Jesus meant. On the other hand, some people take the words of Jesus like these and suggest that we should not have any judgments at all. We should make no declarations that could be described as judging. That's an interesting thought as well. You know, the words of Jesus, in a lot of ways, are used um, by people to advance causes that perhaps Jesus was not exactly trying to advance. Um, Let me give you one that's a little bit controversial. Suppose, for instance, you took the words of Jesus to advance the cause of pacifism, that you should do no bodily harm to another human being for whatever reason. I can see how you could use the words of Jesus that way. I think it's a very noble use of the words of Jesus. I don't quite agree with you, but I think they could be interpreted that way. I'm not a pacifist. Just putting anybody on notice who's listening to plans to invade my home or harm my family. I'll respond in kind. I'm not a pacifist. But some people are, and they take the words of Jesus as the foundation for their principles. So, some people take words like these of Jesus as foundation for principles concerning judgment of any sort. As a matter of fact, listen listen to this statement. One person uh, examining the words of Jesus put it this way. 
Christ totally forbids the human institution of any law court. Based on this statement, judge not. Now you say, that's extreme, that's radical. Who would even go so far as to say that? Well, you may have heard of him. He's a pretty famous guy. His name is Leo Tolstoy. Highly respected. Interpreted this passage that way. I don't happen to agree with him. But I can understand where he's coming from. I don't happen to agree with him because I don't think the words of Jesus suggest you should never make a judgment call of any sort. I think... Jesus' words are saying something else. One of the reasons I think that is because it seems to me that Scripture is full of statements concerning appropriate judgment, right? As a matter of fact, even Jesus himself on one occasion said, I don't want you to judge according to appearances. I want you to judge rightly, right? Inference is you need to get beneath the surface so you can come up with a righteous judgment or a correct judgment. Don't judge just based on the surface or appearances. Paul was famous for making statements that you might call judgment. On one occasion to the church at Corinth, a group of people who apparently had taken the doctrine of grace to an extreme, he in effect says to them, my friends in Corinth, people of God in Corinth, church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. You're out of control. Some of you have taken the doctrine of grace to such an extent that you're actually sinning so that grace can abound. You're saying grace is so wonderful, the more we sin, the better it will be because grace will be exercised. Or you've taken it to such an extreme that you think grace means that it frees you from the worldly morality that you've always endorsed don't need that anymore. I can live above that world. So much so, he says, I'll call you out on this. There's someone among you who is living a life of incest. And not only do you overlook it, you actually celebrate it. You actually say, church of Jesus Christ. You actually say, this is wonderful. People can live this way and still have the grace of God. That's a new kind of freedom we've never known before. And Paul basically says, you've got to be kidding me. Are you out of your mind? Have you lost your senses? It's not correct. It's an improper lifestyle. And I call it out. As a matter of fact, the person should repent of this lifestyle. Inferentially, you should repent of celebrating his lifestyle. And if he doesn't repent of the lifestyle, he ought to be dismissed. Out. That's pretty harsh judgment. I think consistent with the teachings of Jesus, actually. On another occasion, Paul says, if someone's preaching a gospel other than the one that I'm declaring to you, he's talking Galatians, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. If you take a look at the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they are just full of directives that you might call judgments about false teachers. John says to his listeners, he calls them little children, I want you to be discerning concerning truth and error, false teachers and true teachers. And he said on one occasion, 
I don't want you to believe every spirit. Don't just go with what you think inside. Don't just go with the feeling. Don't just go with the spirit that's around you. Examine or discern those spirits. Be discerning and test them. So I don't think, according to the scripture that Jesus is saying, all forms of judgment are inappropriate. That's one reason I don't think Jesus is saying that. There's another reason, though. And this one really is, you might say, apart from Scripture. I think to make such a statement would be utter foolishness. I mean, rationally speaking. First of all, it would be hypocritical to make such a statement. If I were to make it to you, don't judge anything or anybody. Why? Because you know and I know that I judge people all the time. And you know, and I know, that you judge people and make judgments all the time. So to pretend otherwise and to be highbrow about it is absolute hypocrisy. The kind of hypocrisy I think that Jesus was talking about in this text. You know full well we make judgments. Don't pretend that we don't by saying don't make judgments of any sort. Uh, there's a second reason I think it is unreasonable to assume that no judgments ought to ever be made. And it's basically this. It contradicts our nature. And it's contrary to the nature of God. Everything about the nature of God tells us that God makes judgments. That certain things are right and certain things are wrong and certain things will be judged. And everything about our nature? No, not everything. But in large part, we're image bearers of God. And so in reflecting His nature, we intuitively and rightly have judgments to make. It's part of our nature. It would be foolish to think otherwise. Or let's just put it another way. It's impossible not to. If I were to tell you, you have no right to judge, even the statement itself would be a judgment upon you. We can't even function linguistically without making such distinctions. So, for those reasons, I don't think Jesus was saying don't judge at all. Now, notice that's been what? Ten minutes? We haven't even got to the text yet. Let's think about the text for a moment. What did Jesus say? First, uh, I think what he's saying when he says this statement, don't judge or you're going to be judged, is something like what he said on another occasion in Matthew chapter 26. He said, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Right? If you live a violent life, you're probably going to die a violent life. If you're violent to other people, there's going to be violence back on you. If you're mean-spirited to others, others are going to be mean-spirited to you. If you're harsh and critical and judgmental towards others, just be aware of something, my friends. You're going to get the same yourself. That's just the law of humanity. So be careful how you judge. That certainly must be what he's saying. But I think he's also saying... You cannot properly judge any other person while at the same time refusing your own 
self-examination. You can't judge other people without being introspective. You can't judge other people without looking at the sin inside yourself or allowing the other to point the sin within you to yourself. That's the only way you can put yourself in a position to be a righteous, adequate judge at all. That is, to open yourself up to judgment. Notice the image he uses. Fascinating image, isn't it? He says, you who are judging, it's like you've got a great big huge plank in your eye and you're pointing out a speck in the other person's eye. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute a first century carpenter shop. There's an enormous plank that stretches across the room on a table. Now, that enormous plank, let's say this big, has been carefully hewn out of a tree. And what does that carpenter do? He takes that plank and he hewns it even more. He shaves it. He cultivates it. He works on it. And beneath the plank is a floor of sawdust. Jesus says, You have the plank in your eye. And you're pointing to the sawdust in someone else's eye? Not only is it ironic, you couldn't possibly see the bit of sawdust in someone's eye if you had a plank in your eye. The sawdust came from the plank! Seriously? You're going to leave that plank in your eye when the speck of dust came from you anyway? You critical, hypocritical person. It's pretty pretty biting, isn't it, when you see it that way? Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about. Now, what is that? I would suggest that that is a statement about judgmentalism rather than a statement categorically about not judging. And he goes to the issue of the heart. You know what the big problem of that is? None of us think we're as bad as we are. We make judgments and we say, oh, that wasn't judgmental. How are we to know if it's judgmental? I'd suggest only one way. That's hearing from somebody else. Jesus says, don't be judgmental. Don't always be judging others. You can't possibly do it adequately. It's unhealthy for you. You're a hypocrite yourself. And if you do it, it's going to turn back on you. Be careful. So if that's the essence of what Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental of one another. What is the purpose of righteous judgment? There's got to be a reason for righteous judgment. What would it be? Well, I think at first uh, we could all agree to this, that the importance uh, or purpose of righteous judgment is to discern right from wrong. You know, it seems curious, doesn't it? In verse 6, Jesus has just said something about judging, and then like a meteor shower out of nowhere comes in this story about pigs and dogs and pearls. Where in the world is that coming from? Well, first of all, let's remember the context. Nobody back then had cute little house pets, right? 
that we now call dogs. We never had a house pet called a dog either. But that's because I couldn't stand dogs in the house. Point is, nobody had those, okay? You might have a free little creature that you love. Stays in your house. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because dogs to them, first of all, were very dirty creatures. Second of all, the dogs he referred to are probably the kind of dogs that were scavenger dogs roaming the streets, a little bit more like a hyena, actually attacking people for food, foraging through the garbage, and making an utter nuisance of themselves, and they were violent. They were, in effect, wild animals. And when he was speaking of pigs, he wasn't talking about Charlotte's Web. Okay? A nice pink little pig. He was talking about a nasty beast who would do the same. Who would forage through the garbage and destroy property and harm people in order to get whatever the pig wanted. The pig, it's easy for me to think of it this way. The pig was a little bit like the pig's that I heard a lot about when I was a kid growing up in South Florida. In the interior section of that great state, there were a lot of wild hogs. Now, they were pigs, but they weren't the kind that we raised. Those pigs were big and vicious, and they had tusks on top of their nose, (laughs) and they would kill you in a heartbeat, and we would hunt them. They, they tasted quite good, but you would never invite them into your house. And you certainly wouldn't put anything before them that you thought of as a value. Maybe Jesus is using the pigs and the dogs story this way. Maybe he's saying, I just told you not to judge. But I do want you to be discerning. Spare your judgment for situations and people who can receive it. Don't throw your moral advice, your counsel, your instruction, your correction at the feet of pigs and dogs who are just going to trample it. Don't you know people like that? I've met them. On occasion, I think I've been one of them. It's a little bit like the proverb that says, don't answer a fool according to his prob- uh, according to his folly. Don't get engaged in an argument with that fool because your words are wasted. Okay, let's lighten it up a little bit. It's a little bit like the proverb that says, don't try to teach a pig how to sing because you'll waste your time and annoy him, right? Don't bother. When it comes to discerning righteous judgment, I want you to know some people are just going to trample it underfoot. Be aware of that, but be discerning. So, what's the purpose of righteous judgment? It's to distinguish right and wrong. And to hold it in high honor, unlike the pigs and the dogs. What's another purpose for righteous judgment? Um, Righteous judgment is important so that our hearts can be examined. I've got to have you, you've got to have me, we've got to have one another in order for our hearts to be seen. You've got to allow me, I've got to allow you to speak into my life with words of judgment so that self-examination can precede my counsel to others. 
so that in speaking into your life, I'm not a hypocrite. I've allowed you to speak into my life as well. That's the purpose of sound judgment. Another purpose for sound judgment is, quite frankly, just a call for correct action. Sound judgment sometimes just tells us what's wrong and tells us to go another direction. Sometimes it tells us that we ought to confess and repent and be through a form that you might call restitution to make things right. Those things are important. That's the reason for righteous judgment for ourselves and for others. The final reason for righteous judgment, I think, is for the purpose of healing. I can't uh, think of a better way to understand righteous judgment as it relates to healing than when I think of my children. No, I'm not a perfect father. But my righteous judgment over these 20 plus years I think has been motivated by my heart of love for them. I want them more than anything else to be healthy and healed and well. I want their hearts to be right before God. And so as a parent, I'm given the responsibility to judge in a righteous way. That's, a, that's an act of healing if done correctly. I like what um, a very ancient author, he was an early church writer, said about this subject. He said concerning proper judgment. He said about your brother or sister, correct him, not as a foe or as an adversary, exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicine. Use righteous judgment that way. And then the words of Jesus do not condemn. You know why it's so difficult um, in such a thorny issue, this thing of judgment? To do it right? You know why it's so hard to judge properly? I think we need to remind ourselves of that. It'll, it'll help us in, in exacting improper or improper ju- judgment. It's it's first of all difficult because we can't know all the facts and we can't thoroughly know the person. I can't see the heart the way God can. I cannot see all the facts. I can't see the person the way God can. My perspective on that person is limited. As a matter of fact, my perspective on that person comes through me. <laughs> and so my judgments concerning how they ought to be or what they ought to do or ought not to do inevitably comes through the way I handle life. And so it's so easy for me to be harsh and critical and judgmental because I don't understand the ferocious nature of the temptation that they face. And so I judge quickly. I've, uh, for a number of years done my best 
to understand, as best I can, the ravages of alcoholism. Some of my best friends in the world understand it well. I only understand what I read. I do not know the severe temptation of alcohol. I've never been drunk. Doesn't mean that I'll never fall into that category. I've really, I think I can say, really never been tempted towards excessive use of alcohol. I I just, it doesn't attract me. But I know for some of my dear friends and for some of you, the ravaging desire of alcohol and drugs can control your very existence. Until it threatens to snuff out your life. And if I were to judge you based on the lack of difficulty that I have with that issue, how harsh would be that judgment? Multiply that times a thousand other temptations. When you judge another, you can't be in their shoes. You cannot understand the depth of their struggle. And so you quickly judge. That's what Jesus says you cannot do. You cannot do. You don't know their heart or their circumstances the way I do. You don't know what their training was. You don't know what their background was. You don't know what was moral and immoral all through their life. And the categories for you may be reversed. Be careful in your judgmentalism. You can't know the full story. That's why it's difficult, right? That's why it's difficult to judge properly. Second reason we have difficulty with uh, judging is because we're not impartial judges. None of us. You cannot be. It is virtually impossible for you to be thoroughly impartial as a judge. That's why routinely judges recuse themselves from cases that involve people that they know. If I was arrested for a DUI and I happened to be in the court of, let's say, a friend of mine, Mark Kellams, he's going to recuse himself from the bench because he knows me and he knows me well. He's not going to judge because he knows he can't be impartial. The problem with judgment is that it's impossible for me to be completely impartial. So immediately, even in my best behavior, my judgment is somehow sullied. That's why Jesus says, you better be careful. You can't be impartial. You're not God. There's a third reason, it seems to me, that it's difficult to judge properly. It's that none of us is good enough to do it. None of us is perfectly righteous. Now, we often act like we are. You know, it's a little bit like armchair quarterbacks on Sunday afternoon. That would be me, except probably 
call myself a couch quarterback because I'm laying down most of the time watching the game. And I say to myself, are you kidding me? Why did he throw that pass? If I'd have been there, did I really say that? Yes, I did. (laughs) If I was the quarterback, are you serious? If you were the quarterback, you would have got sacked so fast your head would be spinning. And furthermore, you wouldn't have had the instinct to catch the timing on that route that you missed. You wouldn't even have seen it, you blithering idiot. That's what I have to tell myself. There's no possibility. But still, I judge. I'm not good enough to judge, but I do it anyway. I mean, just last week, like, um, the Packers were playing the 49ers, and I desperately wanted the Packers to beat the 49ers. And as you know, they didn't. And there's a play that still haunts me. Not even in the game. It still bothers me. Here it was. Do you care? No, but I can tell you. Here it was. The defensive line is standing and lined up and the snap's taken by Colin Kaepernick, one of the fastest people on feet right now in the NFL. And this defensive lineman decides he's going to pursue the quarterback. And when he decides to pursue the quarterback, he thinks he sees an inside route, so he slides to the inside to get to the quarterback. Now look, I wasn't in the coach briefing, but I guarantee you that Dom Capers said over and over again to all Green Bay Packers on the defensive line, containment, containment, containment. You can't go inside on Colin Kaepernick. He's going to burn you. I I would bet a lot of money that he said that. So what's this guy do? He goes inside. And it's almost like Colin Kaepernick just smiled for a second and then took off like an absolute speed demon. I think he gained 15 to 20 yards on that one play. First down, field goal, game over. All because the lineman goes inside. And I'm sitting there just out of my mind. Why did he do this? As if I would have done something different. I would have seen the hole. I would have wanted to be a hero. I would have gone after him and I'd look like an even bigger fool than the lineman did. But I can criticize. I'm not good enough for it. But I do it anyway. That's why judgment's so difficult, right? So just a few takeaways, practical advice. First thing, just a reminder, I think you know this, but Jesus is not saying the truth doesn't exist in this passage. Jesus is not saying there's no such thing as morality and immorality. Jesus is not saying that there's no such thing as righteous and wicked. Jesus is not saying that judgment will not come to people. It will. He'll be the righteous judge of the universe. He's not saying that for sure. Second, what he is saying is what you give, you're going to receive. Be careful, my friends. That's a warning we could all put in our hearts, right? If you give it, you're going to get it. Second, he says, examine yourself. That's the only way you can place yourself in a position to be helpful when administering righteous judgment is to examine your own heart.
Fourth, he says, offer correction for the purpose of restoration. Not so much in this passage, but other places and throughout Scripture. Righteous judgment is for the purpose of restoration and healing. Remember that when you judge. Maybe ask yourself the question the next time you're ready to judge. Is the judgment I'm about ready to deliver completely for the purpose of healing and restoration? Or do I just want to push the needle? The final thing is this. Um, Jesus says, and the authors of the Scripture say, leave judgment to God. Because He is the final judge. He will finally judge. And He's the only righteous judge. I think one of our uh, tendencies as evangelicals who really believe in truth, even though we might not always have it right, we believe in it, is to be hideously judgmental. To condemn others. To say who's in and who's out. Who's going to be punished by God and who's not. And my friends, quite frankly, though I believe God will judge, I do not know who He will judge. Oh, I know about categories. But I don't know in the mind and the heart of God. And I don't know the mind and the heart of others. And so it seems only right that I should not make such declarations concerning individuals. That one's going to hell. That one's going to be punished. Not long ago, well, it's first semester, I was over on campus, um, as often I am, visiting with students and things like that. And I passed by one of those famous fellows who stands on the corner of one of the sidewalks and screams out thunderous rebukes to the dominant culture at IU and uh, condemns most everybody who passes by to hell. Uh, you know the type, and it seems like there's always a new one there every year. Um, and as I was walking out of the Union, people were all gathered around him, taunting him, agging him on. Matter of fact, the more they talked, the more he got vociferous. And I just slowed down and watched for a minute and just felt bad for the church. And then as I walked past him, I thought to myself, this is not exactly what I should do, but I thought to myself, I'm going to go back to my car or the church. I'm going to get a great big sign. And I'm going to stand up behind him. And the sign's going to say, this guy's crazy, but Jesus is awesome. ECCBloomington.org, right? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. It is probably a good thing I didn't. Because certainly somebody would have been there to snap a picture and put it on the front of the IDS, and we would have had trouble. 
But you get my point, right? Leave the judgment to God. Dispense the grace that's been dispensed to you. Call for people to live righteous lives and to follow Jesus because that's the only way to live a full life. And let God do the rest. I got one more thing to say. I've got a lot of sins, a whole bunch of them. Don't have time to even explain them. But as I reflected on this passage, I realized this year, I definitely need to work on this one. I do. Will you pray for me? Let's pray together. God, you are so gracious to us. Um, so kind and long-suffering and compassionate. You tell us, Lord, in, in your word that if you numbered our transgressions, uh, we couldn't even stand before you. But instead of numbering our transgressions, you abolished them as to the record that is ours. In the person of Jesus Christ, you declare us righteous even though we're not based on your grace and our confession is you, our Lord, have loved us. So, Lord, we confess who we are. Sinners, deeply in need of your grace. And we thank you so much for the grace you've given us. Now we pray, Lord, that you will help us to do something other than just embrace it. Help us to embrace it and dispense it. And then in the context of living for you, give us the grace to dispense grace and healing judgment in such a way that builds up the other. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. It's so abundant. It's so free. May it be the first attitude and the first word on our lips. These things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.